There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Dwell, a Circe Institute podcast for homeschooling moms by homeschooling moms. I'm Renee Mathis, along with my co-host Karen Kern, and our special guest today is Kate Alva from Houston, Texas area. Hey ladies, how are you doing? Hi, Hi Kate, hi Renee. Good to see y'all. So I have the pleasure of introducing Kate because she is in my Circe apprenticeship. And we've gotten to know each other over the last couple of years. Um, she is in her third year, so she's going to be graduating next summer. Um, and it has just been a delight to get to know Kate and watch her grow and her understanding of classical homeschooling and, and just, just to become friends. It has really been a delight. So as um, Karen and I were, were talking about um, ideas for this particular podcast, we thought, what about talking to, about the challenges of homeschooling an only child? And since Karen and I have 10 children between us, neither one of us qualify for that. But (laughs) I did think of Kate, who is homeschooling an only child and is an experienced homeschool mom. Um, So let's just jump right in. Kate, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, maybe how you got started homeschooling. Perfect. Great. I would love to. So um, we have one, obviously, this is about only children. So I have one daughter who will be um, 14 in a week. And that has gone by impossibly fast. Um, so, yeah, we have that. So she's in eighth grade. We homeschool classically. And we we were sort of what I would call a mixed family at the very beginning when it came to attitudes about homeschooling. I wanted to homeschool my husband. um a PhD and son of two teachers was like, that is about the most foreign idea I have ever heard of. And it wasn't going to happen. And um, so in her infancy and childhood, you know, I was a stay at home mom and I'm thinking, you know, what can I do for career 2.0? And I thought I'll become a teacher and I'll pursue licensure and um, I'll have the same schedule as my child. And you know what? All of that worked out perfectly. 
Um, my first teaching job was at the same school she was in kindergarten, and it was a parochial school here in, in Houston. And um, But I still wasn't settled. I still wanted to homeschool. I love teaching. I love my job. But I still felt called to homeschool. And my husband just flatly shut it down. He goes, please stop bringing it up. And um, I did. I sort of buried that dream. And it was kind of the second dream I had to bury. I mean, I had this dream as a child of having a big family and that didn't happen. And then I wanted to homeschool and then that didn't happen. And um, I was getting ready to sign the contract at the end of the school year. And my husband said, oh, we need to talk. And I thought something terrible was going to happen you know, because he has this gravity in his voice. And he goes, um, uh, you know, I just, I've been thinking and doing all this, you know, stuff. And I, I think that we should homeschool. Now I'm thinking it's something terrible because <laughs> his brain cancer or something is affecting his cognitive ability to change his mind so drastically. Um, so of course I pressed him on it. Well, what, what led you here? And um, he had found a book at Barnes and Noble that I've never seen there since. Um, he found the core by Borden's and read it. And that just was enough to persuade him that this was the right choice for our family. And um, so I let my principal know I wasn't returning and I was caught flat-footed because I had no intention, I had no plans to homeschool. And um, so here I am in April, May, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And I didn't join a community. I was like, I'll just wing it because that's kind of my, one of my unofficial mottos is I'll just, I'll just figure it out when I, when I get there. Um, so we tried going it alone, but then we got kind of lonely, just the two of us looking at each other. <laughs> so can I jump in and ask a question? Yes, of course. Is this at the end of her kindergarten year? So she's about five at this point? She is full on six. Oh, she was an October baby. So she was almost a whole year. She's six at that point. Okay. Okay. Yes. So um, I joined about a quarter in. I joined a local um, CC community. And then we, we made friends. And so the social aspect was being met. Um, and we stayed with classical conversations for about four years and um, decided to go in a different direction with our family. And um, I started a classical cooperative in Northeast Houston, um, starting with three families at one point going up to 20 families. And now we're down to six families just because of um, distance and, um, you know, traveling preferences for people. So that's where we are right now. We have a small community. Um, we teach classically and uh, we range from, I think, sixth grade through eighth grade right now. How did you find those families? Those families were, um, they were, most of them were families that I had done. The core group were families that I had done classical conversations with. And my, um, my campus, we lost our campus. And um, at the same point that we were planning on leaving, and I kind of felt a responsibility of these families that I had brought in to home, because some people had pulled their children from parochial school to homeschool. And I felt a little bit of a, like a responsibility toward them. Like I can't leave them just hanging. And so um started a cooperative in my home with mm -hmm. my all these children and five dogs. And at one point we had 20 kids in my house and um, 11 parents and a cul-de-sac full of, full of cars. And um, yeah, 
that's that's kind of where we are right now. It's organized chaos. <laughs> do you do you think you're going to homeschool all the way through to the end? Oh yes, it? I'm I'm already planning high school next year. I'm already getting everything. I like to, I'm a, I like to plan. So you obviously love to plan. Um, yes. You like to be organized and think things out. So as you're choosing curriculum and as you're kind of thinking through what you're going to do each year, does the fact that you're teaching just one child versus a whole houseful, how does that affect your choices and in, in the materials that you choose? Well, I think um, I'm going to liken it from um, a Freightliner to a small sailing ship. A small sailing ship can can pivot and change course so much faster than a larger ship can. And I think with one child, you do have a little bit more ability to maneuver if something's not working. One, you haven't made such a big investment in um, curriculum, Hmm. right? If a book isn't working, if you have one child, you're like, okay, well, that's 40 bucks I can put on the shelf or sell. But if you have a whole set of curriculum that's not working for three or four kids, that's a bigger investment. And I think some parents might feel like this is a ride or die kind of situation because I paid I paid money for it, or you know, mix and matching curriculum to meet different needs for different, um, you know, for different abilities and levels of student engagement for their own children. Um, so I just think that flexibility is probably one of the bigger dif- one of the differences. I'm not going to say one of the bigger differences. Um, if something's not working, we need kind of put it off to the side and go, we pivot in a different direction much more easily. I think your schedule is probably more flexible too, obviously, because you can just change it up and you don't have to say to yourself, Oh wait, I can't do that then because another child has this going on at that time. You have your days. Yes. And you you know, that's kind of also a double-sided coin because we can have days and then we have our days where, (laughs) um, we're the only distraction for each other. You know, we, it's not a community day. Uh, we have, we both have projects. You know, I have my work to do with the apprenticeship and other uh, learning initiatives that I'm involved in because I'm learning along with my co-op. There's things I'm teaching that I have to just kind of stay on top of as well. And um, stuff can kind of both go both ways. There aren't a lot of distractions with people in the house, but I think relationally um, there's a really good relationship between my daughter and I there, you know, I, I get these weird vibes from people that, Oh, she's 13 now, just you wait, or, Oh, she's 14, just you wait. Like, well, I'm still waiting. Um, we don't have these big personality changes. Cause I think we just, we just kind of roll with how the mood goes with the day. If that makes any sense. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Would you say that, <clears throat> I mean, and I will say, you know, she's only 13. So just wait. <laughs> just wait. Oh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I had three girls go through teenagerhood. <laughs> so it's fun. It's fun, Kate. And you are, you are doing just fine. It's it's going to be fine. And, and the, your flexibility will hold you in good stead because you're right. You will have those things. Um, so what would you say was, is one of your biggest or two or three biggest challenges and did those challenges surprise you? Is it, or they weren't you expected to be challenging? Okay, one com- one challenge is one by comparison. So I'm going to bring this up as a as an observer of. Um, I have friends who had children all around the same time. We were friends because our children were born around the same, you know, in the same year. We just kind of met and um, grouped together. 
they went on to have subsequent children. And then I'm noticing, um, you know, I'm seeing pictures of their child fixing breakfast on the stove with eggs and flame and gas. I'm like, my kid's not doing that. And um, all of these things that older children, older children were being required to do. But I think that was just survival in a large family when you've got, you know, six or seven year olds, and then you've got an infant and a couple toddlers. Um, if somebody wants to eat, they need to go kind of fix it themselves sort of thing. Um, and I'm like, well, that's not just going to come naturally. That's something I'm going to have to be intentional about is teaching my child to cook and teaching her how to do laundry and teaching her how to tidy without, you know, being a, so that just becomes naturally where I think in a larger family, those roles kind of get a little bit more um, parsed out as a child grows older. So it's just, I think that's just the joy of being in a larger family. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see other challenges. You know, one of the bigger challenges coming right off of being in a classroom with 22 children and then coming into um, a homeschool situation was the panic of I'm not doing enough because our day was over in two or three hours. And um, like the formal part of, you know, here's our lessons, here's what we're do- we need to accomplish today. But then I did a little bit of reflection on what my school day looked like in the classroom. And most of it was redirection. Please, please stop. Get back in line. Refocus, refocus, refocus. Stand in line. Let's line up. Let's go to, you know, so there's a lot of um, non-educational tasks that happen in the classroom that just they're, they're bulky and they take up time where that's much more streamlined at home. You don't have I mean, there's distractions, but they're not 22 of them you know, going off in different directions at the same time. So that was, a, that was a shock. And I think a lot of people feel that way because they look at a traditional classroom and think, I should be doing this for six hours and we're done. So what am I doing wrong? And I just want to encourage people, you're not doing anything wrong. That's just the nature of homeschooling. Is that, is, I think it's a, just a much more um, efficient um, an efficient way to spend your time teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say, you know, what's it like teaching a lesson to one child versus, I mean, would you say it's kind of a formal a- approach or is it very casual or do you, is it a lot of, you know, kind of get her started and then she's independent Well, we've been doing this now. This is our eighth year. So obviously in the, um, in the earlier years, things were much more hands-on and um, I'm a less formal person. I'm a less formal teacher. Um, So we would just kind of open the book and go or open the lesson and go. And um, I didn't have lesson plans. I just said, here's what we're going to do today. I know some people are very, I didn't need to because I knew in my head what we were going to do because I had one, right? Whereas if you had maybe three or four that you're having to juggle at the same time, I understand you need to know what that child, each child needs to do the next day. And they need to know what they need to do the next day. Cause you're not going to be solely focused on them. Mm-hmm. Um, the entirety of your morning or your day. Um, we would be, we shared a huge table in our dining room. So she would be on one side and I would be on the other. I could do my work or read and she would be working 
Um, so very hands-on the first couple of years, the last two years with junior high, it's been a um, community day where all the assignments are given. And then she is learning to organize and structure her own time. Mm-hmm. And um, of course that still needs modeling. It's not like a child's going to automatically know how to best use their time and organize their day and, and keep track of what they're accountable for before they meet again on the next community day. So there has been a lot of um, helping with planning and organizing materials and keeping on track with what needs to happen in time management. But again, that's easier with just one than trying to keep three or four little squirrels on task. What what does she do um, in her downtime or when when her schoolwork is done? Is she I, I one of my daughters was very creative and so she could spend long periods of time in her room with scissors or sewing basket or paint. Um, and then other children may want they need more interaction. Um, so where does your daughter fall in that? My daughter falls definitely on the creative side. She has been a self-taught artist, um, much to the disappointment of my husband, who wants her to be an engineer. (laughs) I go, you know, thank God for her. Thank God for her talent. Um, And she spends a lot of her time drawing. And um, she will, she has an anonymous YouTube account that has no identifying marks on it that she's uploaded, you know, short animations to. And one of them I'm looking at, one of them has had 10,000 hits. I'm like, what is, what is happening here? Um, So in her downtime, she can be very um, self-sufficient. And then um, it's around bedtime where she's not self-sufficient. And all of the questions that, you know, burn the universe to end to end come out like, why does God X, Y, Z? And, you know, so it's bedtime. I'm ready to crash. She is like (laughs) awake and alive and asking these huge questions, you know, that need coffee and, you know, an hour and a half of deep conversation. So I'm enjoying those, but um, it's affecting my sleep. (laughs) That is a blessing though, that, that you have, you have the time to give her. Because so many children are like that, right? Particularly as they enter the teen years. They want to, it's at nighttime that they want to talk. I know. And we're so tired. We're so tired. That time. That's that's a blessing. So, you know, I I'm sure that there are challenges, but there are also so many blessings, right? Absolutely. You have in your relationship with her and in the time. And I I um heard somebody recently who's an artist say that that one of the gift his parents gave him growing up was the gift of boredom. And then it was in that boredom time when nothing was scheduled. There wasn't any sports to go to or music lessons. There was nothing really required and nothing to do. And that that's when he flourished in his art and that he sees that as a gift. So I would imagine that an only child has to deal with more boredom than a child in a big family. But at the same time, they have the opportunity for quiet which is a blessing. It is a blessing. And, you know, her personality, I wouldn't call her introverted, but I wouldn't call her extroverted. I mean, she calls herself an ambivert, like she'll she'll go either way, but she does appreciate her downtime, but she does also enjoy 
the stimulation she gets when she's around her, you know, her close group of friends. There's that, that, you know, craziness that 12 and 13 year old girls, that energy that they get when they're around. And, um, but then she also likes the quiet time as well. And we, you know, it's said with just the three of us, we can be quiet together. It's kind of a weird thing for us to kind of all be in a room and we're all, you know, we're all in our different books or she's, you know, my husband's reading the news or she's drawing and I'm in a book. Um, that happens quite a lot. And then someone will put something down and ask a question or yeah, it's just, it's just different. It's quieter. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say that, um, you're, you know, I'm sure people ask you, well, what about socialization? Because we get that question all the time with homeschooling anyway. And, you know, then now you have an only, um, do you feel like your, your community with your, your co-op, does that fill, fill that, that need well enough? Or do you, do you feel this, a pressure to like, I've got to go out and find things for her to do, or are you pretty peaceful about, no, this is, this is just where we are. You know, I'm pretty peaceful about it. Um, I'm at peace about it. We have our community. It's a strong community. Um, it's a good community in the sense that the friends that my children, that my child has, um, I'm also friends with the parents. Mm -hmm. So there's a good, there's, I think that's called a double strength there. So it's not just, there's, there's a level of trust there than just, you know, somebody random she met at school or youth group, like where I know the parent, it's not just, oh, I kind of know them in the hallway at church or, um, so there's a, there's a confidence there that if she goes to someone's house, I can trust what she'll be exposed to. Um, I can trust, you know, we, we've all kind of given, there's a joke that we've said, like, just treat them like you're, treat my child like she's theirs. <laughs> and at first, I thought, you know, there's a, you, you question that and then you're like, oh, that means I can, you know discipline them or not, you know, but just kind of give them no, the, I, I the eye. Like, it's, right. it's a yeah. huge help. If, even if nothing else, then I want you to tell me what they're up to if you see something, because I trust, I trust your eyes and I trust your judgment. And yep. I want my kids to know that, yeah, there are other people watching them. <laughs> so. You know, I think that is probably one of the biggest takeaways as a, as an only family is you have to, and especially my situation is also a little bit more unique in the sense that I don't have family here. We are Gulf Coast transplants. So we had to build those, um, we had to build those relationships and I had to be intentional about them because, you know, sometimes my husband travels and I need backup or I need to travel and my husband needs backup. So we had to be very purposeful in building um, relationships with families that we could trust as well. That is a blessing though. You're right. That's especially, you know, Houston, everybody's moved there from somewhere else. And Everyone's from somewhere it's, else. It's rare to find, yeah, find the natives. So how, how would you encourage someone, let's say a brand new homeschool mom who's thinking about taking this big step and has an only child? I think for, um, Someone who is just getting started, I would find a mentor. I would find somebody who has homeschooled and um, I would join a support group, either something virtual so you can get started and maybe get plugged. And it doesn't mean that the group you join at first is going to become your people. 
it's just sometimes you join that group and you find one person there that you, that becomes your person. Mm -hmm. And um, then you kind of grow from there organically. But I think joining like a local homeschool organization um, to go in search of like-minded people kind of helps as well. Um, I know if you're in a larger city with maybe a larger church, you're going to maybe have um, homeschool support groups at your parish, or if you've got a large community church, you're going to be able to find people there. But you, you need, as a parent and as a mom, you kind of need you need that. If you're, you can't just be across from your child all by yourself all day. You need to get out. We're meant to be social. Right. And, um, but you have to build those communities and it takes time. That's not something that's going to happen overnight. And then I would encourage people who go to homeschool conventions to leave their credit card and checkbook at home. <laughs> the, it, the first time they go, because everything is going to yeah. look bright and shiny and like, Oh, this will be so great. And, um, I would encourage you to go and check it out and maybe pick up literature and um, then get feedback from people and know your kid. Mm -hmm. And um, because I, there have been several times where I'm like, I just want to burn this curriculum on the front, <laughs> in the front yard because it was an impulsive buy. It sounded like a good idea at the time, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't. But I was, you know, they must pump something in the air at the conventions to make you whip that credit card out. <laughs> Really I know. I read something once. Yeah, your 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 enthusiasm is the highest at the point of purchase, and it just drops off from there until two months, three months later in September. You're going, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Your I husband think was. What were you thinking? And if we could have that money back, oh my goodness! <laughs> right? Yeah. Whereas if you if you see something or you go to those with the intention of looking at what you know, your friends are using or looking at what you've heard about and you're, you're investigating and then you leave. And then if it's still with you, you know, and then you can always buy online, but you're right. Right. You know, and I think another um, valuable piece of advice that I would give to anyone starting homeschooling is that you do not have to do all the things. And um, I see a lot of pressure on parents. Like my, my four-year-old doesn't know the alphabet yet. Or my six-year-old isn't reading yet. I'm like, you'll get there. You will get there. And um, just to kind of take that pressure off of them that their child has to be always performing at a certain level when they could just meet their child where they are and guide them along. And um, I think that, you know, one of the hallmarks of, a classical education is an appropriate pedagogy and why there's, you know, a lot of, well, what does that mean? And, you know, but how we teach. And I think that overwhelming our child when they're young with like, well, you have to do all six of these things. We have to do them a schedule. You're going to burn out that flame of wanting to learn really easy, really quickly, both on the, on the teacher side and on the, on the student side, you're going to suck the joy out of homeschooling really quickly. If you're, trying to do all the things. Yeah, that's good advice. And I love how you have managed to, obviously, you know, you have a love for teaching and it might seem like, well, you know, what am I going to do? I only have one child and I only get to teach one child, you know, and that's what God has given me. But 
through the apprenticeship and through your co-op, mm-hmm. um, you know, you find ways to, to teach other people because that's, that's kind of your calling and that's what you love to do. And, um, so, so for anyone out there who's thinking, I only have one child, but I really love to teach. You can find other people to teach. <laughs> you can absolutely find ways to use that gift and that talent, um, beyond just the walls of your own homeschool. So, so Renee, I don't know if it was you who said this, or I can't remember when I, you know, I hear things and they stick in my brain that I don't remember who to give credit to, but you know, anyone could be a good homeschool teacher, but if you want to be a really good homeschool teacher, also teach someone else's kid. <laughs> um, because it, it just, it's just sort of like there's your house is clean, but then there's clean for company clean. If you know what I mean, it's kind of the same way with teaching. Like now you can teach your kid. But if you're teaching your child and someone else's kid, there's just, I think, a different, um, there's a different uh, motivation there Mm -hmm. to do a really good job. Yeah. And, you know, more data points, the better, right? Mm -hmm. More experience, more different kinds of kids, more learning styles, more challenges. But, um, yeah. Well, neat. Karen, you got some more questions? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, It was really really helpful, I'm sure, to any of our listeners um, that are thinking about doing um, homeschooling their only child. And um, do you have any last bit of advice that you want to send people off with? Um, If you're on the fence, just come down and homeschool your kid. Just do it. Just do it. And you don't need a minivan either. (laughs) Yeah, I would roll into community day and it would be minivan, 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 then my little, <laughs> my little sedan. So yeah, you won't, you won't need a minivan. So you'll, you'll save gas. Just saying. Yeah. It's economical. Well, it was great talking to you. Likewise. And seeing both uh, Renee and you, Kate. Thank and you. So, so um, I would encourage everybody to join us for next time. Our next one, we will be talking again to Anne-Marie McCallum about um, science and teaching outside and getting out in nature. So thanks again, Kate. Nice to see you, Renee. And until next time, here's to home. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.